Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. Father, we thank you for your word, which reveals your goodness in the midst of brokenness. We pray for this family around the corner, and we don't know all the details, but you do. I just pray that, that somehow the, they would see your love and your care and your goodness in the midst of this devastation. Um, and, and Father, that if we as a church can in any way care, be loving, reach out to them, Lord, that maybe through Tony, as he's kind of here on the ground in the neighborhood always, or, or the rest of the body, that we would be your arms, your feet, uh, that we would be uh, showing the love of Christ to them. We pray for Travis and his wife right now, Katie, as they're in memorial and they're scared and, and there's unknown facing them. I just ask, please, Lord, uh, that he would recover feeling and the ability to walk and, and that you would give the neurosurgeons and all these others just wisdom as they, as they just kind of plan and, and kind of figure out what's going on. Lord, as we approach this text, I ask for strength and courage, Lord, and, um, but at the same time, just that you would be speaking, that it would not be Bill Fowler or any agenda that I have, that it would be you speaking to your people, just using me as a conduit of truth to build the church, Lord. Uh, just please add to or take away what I was gonna say. Just, I, I'm preaching to myself. It's hard for me to stand up here and preach about these things, Lord, because I am sinful and I need just as much teaching on my own heart. And so, despite my brokenness and need, Lord, I pray your spirit would, would in a perfect way, where every single person just needs to hear today, Lord, that your spirit would be moving in such a way that we hear what you want us to hear individually and corporately as a body. And we do it for the name of Christ and his glory. Amen. All right. Genesis 19, that's where we're at. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. For Genesis, the first book of the Bible, or it's gonna be on the screen. Um, and just, it's, just, it's, it's a famous text, famous in the church. It's famous in the Bible, actually. This Genesis 19, where God kind of judges Sodom and Gomorrah, is referenced several times. Jesus refers to it. The apostles refer to it. So it's a pretty prevalent text as far as uh, the rest of Scripture, and even outside of Scripture. Uh, it's a well-known text. And, and so what do we do with it as Christians? I know what some Christians do with it. They take this text and they beat people over the head and they, and they kind of threaten and make you mad and yeah, and God's gonna get you, you better watch out. I, I, we're not going that direction. Because here, here's the thing, I think when, when Christians take this and make their hobby horse, they always see everybody else and they don't see themselves. And I think we're in this text. I know we are. And so what I wanna do is, I, there's just three big picture lessons that I wanna grab from this text on, on God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Three things and, three, and, and multiple applications for us that I think are huge. And I want you to humbly come to the text and see yourself in it this morning, all right? Uh, because we're there, we're there, all right? Genesis 19, and actually, if you really read the whole thing, Genesis 18 and 19 are all one big story. What we covered last week and this week it's all really one big story where, where God and two angels show up to Abraham and they have good news and they have bad news. We looked at the good news last week. Abraham, you're gonna have a baby. Sarah thinks it's funny. She doesn't believe, but it's gonna happen. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. 
That's the bad news. And when, if you've been here for the entirety of this series, you think, okay, Sodom, who's living down in Sodom? His nephew is down in Sodom. Abraham's nephew lives there. Um, and he's been there for 20 plus years. And what you have in Sodom and Gomorrah in the area is a city that is so wicked that God says, I have to bring my judgment on this city now. It's, it's gotten that bad. And so that's kind of where we pick up. Good news, baby's coming. Bad news, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Right? And some things in between we're gonna talk about. But let's just pick up in verse one, 19. The two angels... Okay, now there's two of them. It was three. God has left. He sent the angels on ahead to Sodom. They come to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Okay, the gate of Sodom. That, the gate and the city in those days was like the most important place. It was like city hall. It was where all the business took place. It's where the judges sat and resolved cases. All the, that, that's where all the important men were, was at the gate. So what we see is Lot, who has now been there 20 years, has grown in prominence in this city. He is one of the leaders in the city of Sodom. All right, these angels are heading his way. He sees them. Okay, when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and, and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. And just, just like his uncle did, and we saw it last week, he shows hospitality, right? He, he's, he's, he says, come to my house, I'll wash your feet, I'll feed you, okay? You think, God, oh, Lot's a pretty good dude. I mean, he's, he's just like his uncle, right? He's doing all these things. But the reality is Lot knows how wicked Sodom is. He, he gets it, so he says, you, you come stay with me. They say, no, no, we'll, we'll spend the night in the town square. Now, if you've had friends come to town and they're like, you're like, hey, come to stay with us. They're like, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna go sleep down at Forsyth. You'd be like, do you like your wallet? Do you like your cell phone? All right, now you, you come stay at my house. That's, that's the heart of, of what Lot's doing. Now you stay with me. And so he presses them strongly and they turn aside and they enter his house and he makes them a big feast. Bakes unleavened bread and they ate. Not quite as big as Uncle Abraham made last week. I don't see any curds and all that good stuff, whatever that was. But, but he, he feeds them, all right? He feeds them. You think Lot's a good dude. Well, this is where the story turns. Verse four. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called the Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. All right, real, real graphic in the Hebrew and the English doesn't come across. They're basically the men of the city. And notice it's not just one, a couple guys. It, it kind of, there's a staccato-ness to the text. The men of the city, all the men, both young and old, all the people, it's building it up. All the men, even the young boys, the, the Hebrew word na'ar means little boys. Every guy, every male in the city, dads are bringing their first graders. They surround Lot's house Bang on the door and say, Let the, bring these men out that we may know them. And, and it's a Hebrew euphemism for they, they're going to, they want to rape them. Right? This is how depraved Sodom is. Every man, boy in the entire city is there to be part of this deal. That's how wicked it has become. Right? That, is how, that is how depraved it has come. And so Lot... He resists, he, said, he goes out the entrance and he shuts the door and says, I beg you, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. And you think, oh good, at least there's one good dude in town. Lot's standing up for things, right? He's the good dude. But look at his solution. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you. 
and you do to them as you please. Oh, only don't, don't do anything to these men, for they've come under the shelter of my roof. The solution for Lot to these, the, the crowd wanting to rape these two men is, oh, do it to my daughters instead. And you see, what in the world is going on in this city? I mean, kind of dad, what brokenness. But the men, they won't have any, they don't want to have anything of it. They said, they say, stand back. It's, it's, it's a Hebrew for get out of the way. And they said, this fellow comes to sojourn has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. They're gonna bust the door open and they're gonna rip these guys out. And this is where the angels show themselves to be angels because no one knows they're angels yet. They reached out their hands and they brought Lot into the house. All right, remember angels are supernatural creatures. They are much mightier and much stronger than people. So they grab Lot, they bring him in, they shut the door and then they strike with blindness the men who were out the entrance, everybody. Little boys, big adults, grandfathers, everyone's blind. But even in their blindness, notice the depravity. They are still wearing themselves out to try to get to the door, to try to get to these men. How wicked has the city become, right? Imagine the chaos of all these blind people crawling all over and they're still trying to satisfy their cravings. And, and, and let me just deal with something real quick because this, this for 2,000 years hasn't been an issue, but now it has been in the church for some reason. And in the last 20 years, there's been this rising debate whether or not uh, immorality, homosexuality is sin. And there's, this, so there's all this stuff going on. And there's those who would say, well, God actually judged Sodom not because of immorality or anything else. He judged them because they were not hospitable. Okay, so they were bad hosts. Right? Now you have the other side that says God judged them only because of homosexuality and both of those sides are actually wrong. But here's where those who say, oh, God judged them because they were not hospitable. They're gonna go to Ezekiel, which says this. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but it did not aid the poor and needy. So they say, look, see, God judged them because they, didn't, they weren't kind to the poor. They weren't hospitable. And there's a Bible verse to prove it. But what they fail to see is they fail to read the next verse. And they were haughty and did an abomination. The word for abomination is the same word used in Leviticus that says a man shall not lay with a man. It is an abomination. He said, so I removed them when I saw it. So it's deeper than just they, didn't, they weren't good with strangers. But on the flip side, it's not just, well, they're immoral sexually. Because that's where the church likes to go because guess what? We like to cherry pick our sins, Right? This is bad because I don't struggle with it. It's bad. Don't touch this thing I struggle with over here. But here's what I want you to see. There is something to this idea in Ezekiel of, of what their core sin was. Their core sin of Sodom is actually what? He says it twice, pride. He said they had pride. Second verse, verse 50, they were haughty. Here's what happens, okay? Here's the progression of where things go. We always judge the externals and we judge the fruit, but this is an internal issue. When a people get rich and powerful and successful, they start saying, look how good we are. Look how great we are. We don't need anybody. I don't need God. I make my own rules. I'll do my own thing. I'll do what I want. It's my life. And when you get to that point, the, the path always leads to immorality. Because when you reject God and you reject truth, it'll always lead to perversion every time. Every time. And this is what Romans says. This is exactly what Romans 1 says. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain. It's clear. God has made it clear that there is a God. 
There's certain things that God has made. He, he may not give everybody the book of John, but he has made clear a couple things. He has made clear male and female. That's pretty clear. No one says, it's an it. They say, it's a boy, it's a girl. All right? That's, it's, just, it's very clear what God has done. It is very clear through creation that there is a God. Because his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his nature have been clearly seen. No one has an excuse. And what happens when people reject truth, when people reject God, when they reject what he has made clear, what God does is he gives people over to a depraved mind. Because you don't want to have simple truth, all right, then you, then you go and do that thing. And it always results in perversion. So it says God gives them up in their lust to their heart, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies, exchanging uh, exchanging the truth about God for a lie, and it goes on to talk about, in Romans 1, homosexuality. The sin of, of homosexuality, immorality, perversion, it's not ultimately rooted in it's just an external thing. It's a denial of truth, and it's a denial of who God is, which is where Sodom is, which is why in America, the problem with America is not we have all, we have all this immorality. The problem is we have denied God. And now there's confusion. We don't know who should go to what bathroom and we're having all these debates about all that stuff. It's silly. It has nothing to do with the externals. It's everything to do with pride. And I'm, I know better than God. And so before you go cherry picking sins and talking about how bad it is, where's the root? The root is pride. And pride leads to these things. And when you deny God and when you deny his word and you deny his truth, this is where it leads. And so if we're honest, we're not all that far off. That's why it's so important to understand, really, it's, this is a heart issue. And so Sodom has got a heart problem, a denial of God problem, and so God is going to bring judgment because it's gotten to a certain point. And eventually, the, the angels tell Lot, here, it's, it's time, verse 12. They said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become Great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Sense the urgency? I mean, two times destruction's coming, destruction's coming, destruction's coming. It says, get you and your family out. We are going to judge this place. And so Lot tells his family, he goes to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters and says, up, get out of this place. The Lord is about to destroy the city. But here's the saddest thing. He seems to his sons-in-laws to be joking. It's the same exact Hebrew word that was used when Sarah hears that she's gonna have a baby where she laughs. It's the same word. They laugh. They think he's a joke. Ha ha That's funny. That's great. What are you talking about? They don't take him seriously. The Lord? You say the Lord's about to judge? Who's the Lord? You haven't talked about the Lord? And I've never heard you talk about the Lord a lot. Right? I've known you 20 years. I've never heard anything about Lord. Now judgment? And here, here's the first big picture lesson for us from this text. All right? And it's from Lot. First takeaway is I want you to see the tragic cost of compromise. When, when we compromise, there's, there's a cost. When we, when we play with sin, what we find out from the New Testament is that Lot was a righteous man. You would never get that from the book of Genesis. But Peter says, righteous Lot. He calls him righteous. Here's a guy who lived his entire life by the price is right rules. Closest without going over wins, right? How close can I get? You've seen the kids, don't touch that. Okay. Didn't touch it, right? That's price is right rules. 
closest without getting over. How many people live their lives with that? In Lot, you've seen this progression of compromise. First thing you see him, he sees it's so nice by Sodom. And then, he, and then he pitches his tents near the city of Sodom. The next thing he's living in the outskirts. The next thing he's living in. Next thing he's living in charge. And it's a slow progression. That, that's how he's lived his life. It's the nature of compromise. It's little by little. It's little decision by little decision that leads to big decision. It's the mindset that says, I can handle it. I, it's not a big deal. It's not that bad. But let me just tell you, you cannot manage sin. You cannot control it. You just can't. I call it, when I meet with young men specifically, I, I call it 007 syndrome. Right? This is a very manly, male-oriented illustration, but I think you'll get it. And every he, he, superhero mirror, movie, what happens is the superhero in the first hour gets captured by the bad guy, right? They capture James Bond, and, they, and he puts him in some sort of contraption where he thinks he can control him. And then he tells him all his plans because he thinks he's going to control them, right? I'm going to blow up the world with the nuclear missiles. <laughs> You're dead anyway. And what happens every time? There's a watch. There's a something, a sock that does something. And the, the good guy gets away and ends up destroying the bad guy. Why? Because he thought he could control it. He thought he could handle it. Some of you are playing with stuff you think you can manage. you got some management strategy, Right? I can get this close and I'm not going over. Let me tell you, it will come back and it will destroy you. And let me just give you three real quick costs of compromise, just right out of the text. Number one is your credibility. Lot has no credibility with those closest in his life. His sons-in-law don't believe him. His daughters don't believe him either. He is impacted after 20 years in Sodom, absolutely Nobody, not even his family, right? It's, it's as if he's like, come on, judgment's coming. God's gonna judge. They're saying, what are you, bro, what are you, you're now you're preaching the Bible? Where have you been for 20 years? And he's talking about wickedness. Oh, don't do such and so wicked, you wicked men of Sodom. And he wants to throw his daughters. It's, it's like, bro, can you not see? That's just as wicked, Right? It's, it's because of compromise. He's got no credibility. And that's, it's us, y'all. We are really good. I am really good. We are experts at hypocrisy. Right? Look how bad the world is. Oh, we had a great sermon at church this morning on the wickedness of the world. And then we go out and we tip our waitress 3% and give her a Jesus loves you card. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. We'll tell our kids, don't you lie to me. You be honest with me. Um, I'm sick, boss. All right, let's go tee off. Right? Hypocrisy. You shouldn't drink, children. You should never drink alcohol. You go out and have a, too, a few too many with your, with your buddies. Right? Hey, it's, it's hypocrisy. Show me respect while we slam our boss or our spouse. It's, it's the same thing. There's a loss of credibility because of compromise. And look, if the only difference in our lives that Jesus makes is that we wake up on Sunday morning and go to church, then we are just like Lot. We're just like Lot. 
right? That's it, that's it. it. It's a sad state when the presence of a believer at a place has absolutely no preservation aspect. Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth. The nature there is that salt preserves. And I'm not saying we're gonna make the city on a hill, but I mean, if, you, if you're having no preservation aspect, I mean, ask yourself, hey, you guys who go to Country Day, you guys who go to Savannah Arts, you guys who go to whatever school, you guys at a Gulfstream, you guys on Hunter, you're teaching at, at Jenkins High, whatever. Is there any sense of preser- preservation or has our saltiness lost its saltiness? And then when it does, Jesus says it's only good to throw it in a ditch. It's only good to just trample over it. Right? That's lot. So when there's compromise, when there's just, just close enough to sin without going over, that's the nature. You're, there's losing of cred. Second thing is, is it numbs you. There's a numbing effect of sin. And, and we say it like this, sin makes you stupid. It just does. You do dumb things, things you never would think I would do. I mean, I look sometimes at my dog. He's dumb as it is, but he does things and he knows he's gonna get in trouble for it. He grabs food, he grabs containers, and he goes in the dining room thinking that no one's ever gonna find the trash all over the floor because dogs don't have the ability to pick things up and throw it in the trash after they mess with it. And so I come in and here's this trash on Milton and he won't come in, he crawls around. I'm like, that's so dumb. You know you're gonna get caught. It's Adam and Eve sitting in fig leaves, hiding behind a tree that God created three days earlier thinking he won't see us here. It's Samson lying in Delilah's lap. She says, what's the secret to your strength? Tie me up like this. He wakes up tied up, breaks it out. The next night, what's the secret of your strength? And he tells her, sin makes you stupid. It's Jonah thinking, if I just get on a boat and go that way, God will never see me. He can't see in the med. He's only looking over there, right? It's, it's the prodigal son leaving home when his dad has everything he could ever want. In fact, it's funny that when he realizes it, it says he comes to his senses. It's, sin makes you do dumb things. It's you, single daters, 11.30 at night, thinking it's gonna, oh, this is a wise decision. Let's sit on the couch together, no one's around, under a blanket, and watch Sleepless in Seattle. That's gonna end up well. Sin makes you stupid. And so, Lot, you read this and you're like, oh my goodness, Lot, are you crazy? Look at verse 15. As morning dawned, the angel said, up. Wait, I'm wondering, why is the morning there and he's still in town? If he knows judgment's coming, why did he go to bed? Why doesn't he run? And they say, up, take your wife, take your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment. But he lingered. What are you doing, man? So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters. But then they have to drag him out of the city. How, I mean, it's like, Lot, don't you get it? Don't you get it? God is being merciful. It's the Lord being merciful to him. They bring him out and they set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, escape for your life. Come on, man. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And even now, Lot is like, uh, oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. You've shown me great kindness in saving my life. I can't escape to the hills. It's too hard. Lest the disaster overtake me to die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee. Let me just go to that. It's just a little city. He still doesn't get it, right? He wants to go to this little city 
And then so they say, go, escape to it. So it's called Zor. It, it makes you dumb. It, it just makes you dumb. And the more you indulge in sin, the, way, the nature of it, the, the, the more dumb you become and the less sinful it feels. It's just, it's just the nature of it. You don't, it's not sinful anymore. What used to be despicable to you, you would think never. And now it's, it's normative. Like last year or two years ago, me and my wife, we went on this sugar-free diet for a couple of weeks. And I used to put like this much sugar in my coffee. I had some, I mean, it was like drinking syrup and I loved it. But the problem was we we're going on the sugar-free diet. So I, I was like, what am I gonna do? I can't give up coffee. That would be sinful. And so I started that first day and I drank coffee black. And it was the most horrendous thing I've ever had in my life. But the funny thing is, as I kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing it day after day, I started to actually like it. And now I don't put sugar in my coffee. I drink it black, maybe a little bit of cream. Or on Sundays, I put the special stuff in because it's a special day, right? But I drink it coffee black now. How did I get there? I just got used to it. It was disgusting to me at first, but eventually it became normative. That is the nature of sin. Just one time. Oh, it's not a big deal. And it becomes normative. And, and, and compromise, you continue to go that light and there's eventually, there's going to be loss. What does Lot lose? He loses everything. He was a rich man. He loses everything but the clothes on his back. He loses his wife who is not gonna listen to the angel and she's gonna turn back and she's gonna turn into a pillar of salt. He loses his daughters who they're still alive but morally they are wretched. And you can read about what they do in the rest of the chapter. We're not even gonna go there. But they are wretched. He loses everything. And, and, and I love what, what William usually says when we talk about this topic. He says, play out the tape. What does this look like if you continue down this path? What does it do to your relationships? What does it do to your family? What does it do to your health? Play out the tape. Nobody wakes up and says, I wanna go destroy my family today. I wanna lose my kids, that'd be great. I'm gonna destroy someone else's life by drunk driving. I wanna do, that's what I wanna do. That, play out the tape. That's why this text is a warning to, to us. God is saying, hey, I'm your dad, I love you. I'm trying to protect you, don't go there. And I think, y'all, I think we have some dads that are just like Lot that are selling out their daughters. Oh, I would never sell them out like that. Yeah, but you're letting your 15-year-old date an 18-year-old? Come on. It's, it's, it's just silly. You're letting them dress like, well, everyone does it. You're right. Everyone does it. We have parents, and I see this a ton, and me and my wife talk about this. We have parents who, who want to be their, their teenagers' buddies and not their parents. Be your kid's best friend when they're 20. When they're 14, they need a dad, need a mom, right? They, they need a, to guard and protect and shepherd them. Let me, let me speak to the young folks. I know we got a bunch, high school, middle school, you know, young singles professionals. You're living in a world, y'all, I mean, I'm not that old, and I'm like, man, it has gone way down since I was there. I mean, and I feel for you. It's, it's a challenge you, you're, to look a certain way, to take this kind of picture and put it on Instagram this way. I mean, it is something, stuff I couldn't fathom. But, but, but ladies, do not compromise your purity and your body for some knucklehead who tells you he loves you. 
Because if he really did, he wouldn't ask you to do something that could lead to destruction. If he really loved you. Right? Don't go there. Right? Don't, don't believe the lies. Dating, this is a huge issue in the church. And you know, I'm not a, you should kiss dating a bi or you should kiss dating a low guy, whatever. But the way the world does dating is broken. Because what they do is they come together for three months and they're broken up. And then they come together for six months and it's a new couple. And they come together for nine months or 18 months or whatever. And they just are used to coming together, breaking up, coming together, breaking up, coming together, breaking up, coming together, breaking up. And whether they were sleeping together or not, and then all of a sudden one time when they're 26 and there's a magical cake and a magical dress, now, even though they've been ripped apart 16,000 times and the heart broken, now it's just supposed to all of a sudden stick? When their hearts are used to this, that, this. This is why... I just encourage you teenagers, put off dating. I know everyone says, yeah, it's great. I watched the notebook. It's, this is how it should work. Look, it's, if you're 16 years old and you can't get married at 16, it's, this is when you study math and you go to the gathering. Okay? All right. Okay? I'm just telling you. Save your money, guys. I'm just telling you. You're 17, save your money. Go see Star Wars. All right, but just don't buy into the lies of the culture because we're dealing with it when, we're, when we got married couples at 29, 32, 42. Young men, older men, if you think that what you do with your old phone when you're 15 years old has no impact on your marriage, which is 10 years away, I promise you, you can't see it, 15-year-old dude. I promise you it does because if you continue to feed that addiction by the time you are 26 and you say, I do, that precious bride is going to be the object of, of all this junk. And then those little boys and little girls that you have when you're 38, I'm just telling you, you can't see it. And I know that's why I'm just telling you, God, the father is saying, please listen to me. Who are you going to listen to? Me, who gives my son, who proves my love by sacrificing my son? Or are you going to listen to the father of lies, who if he could kill you right now, he would. The only reason you're alive is because God has kept you alive. The enemy hates you. He hates your soul. He hates your marriage. He hates your kids. He hates this church. He wants to destroy you. Right? Don't, don't play with fire. Don't play with it. Right? This, the solution is flee. That's what the angels say. Flee. Get out of Dodge. That's what we say. Flee immorality. Flee these things. Run. Right? Run. If, if you have issues with your phone and you can't handle it, go to the flip phone. We have many men that have done it. Right? There's nothing wrong with the flip phone. If it saves your soul, Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut off. You can't manage credit cards, and some of you can't. You need to cut them up. You can't handle driving by the hot and now sign at Krispy Kreme? Then go around. <laughs> and some of you need to go around. <laughs> I mean... You can't handle having just one, then don't have just one and don't go to a place where they're having just one. You, you struggle with lust, then don't go down to Forsyth at three o'clock in the afternoon where you know that people are gonna be dressed in a way that's gonna make you stumble. Media intake, this is a big one for us as a church and a culture. This is why 30 and unders, there's so much confusion about gender and marriage and all these things. It's because you're feeding your soul with the Game of Thrones, and if you wonder why there's confusion and lust and all these struggles, it's because your, your, your eyes are the gates of your soul. And when you feed yourself stuff that exalts immorality, what do you expect is going to be the fruit? And I'm not saying don't go see a movie. I'm not saying don't listen to music. But if, if this, these, all these songs are reminding you of this or putting stuff in your head, you need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts, y'all. 
And, and, and it's not just don't do something. That's, that's the mistake the church makes. We make rules. I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna get a filter. I'm gonna, those are all good things. But the mistake we make is our heart is like a balloon and when we stop doing this and it deflates, Eventually, it's gotta be reinflated with something else. There's a weeding out, but there's gotta be a seeding in. And so if I'm cutting this off where I was finding life and I was finding joy, I gotta refill with something else that satisfies. And so if it's an immoral relationship and I need to cut that relationship off, then I need to pursue a positive relationship with these group of men who are gonna build into me. I don't just stay. If it's, I'm watching five hours of TV a night and some of y'all are, you need to... You can't just say, okay, what are we gonna do now? You gotta put something in that balloon. And so I would suggest, get your kids and read. In fact, I had a great survey this week. It was, a, it was on Al Mohler. He was talking about how, you know, 17-year-old boys and girls actually still like it when their parents read to them. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Read a book. If you never read the Chronicles of Narnia to your kids, first of all, you're a sinner. Go get them. That'll take you a year. Read a chapter a night and tell me at the end of one, one chapter, the kids aren't like, could you just read one more? Because it's so good. I mean, right? Just, just that. If you're like, oh, I can't listen to this secular radio, then jam some 88.1. Go get some MP3s that are good. There's great Christian music that will fill your soul, right? There's great books that will fill your soul, but you can't just cut it off and say, okay, I'm not gonna ever do that again because in a week you're going to. You gotta fill yourself up. All right, that's what Romans 12 says. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you don't do that, but you also have to positively be transformed by something. And God uses all sorts of great things to transform us, his word, his people, truth, all right? And so you, you gotta, when, when you flee, you gotta fill it up with something, all right? But big, but big point here, I'm getting off topic. Is, is that there's consequences when we compromise and I don't wanna see it in our lives. I don't wanna see it in mine. A loss of credibility, it numbs us, it destroys us. And so flee, today's the day to flee. Two more real quick lessons from the text, all right? Here's the second one. Go to the next slide, because my clicker's not working. Is that God will one day judge sin. I mean, this is just a reminder, this text is a reminder that God will one day judge sin. In fact, when the New Testament refers to this passage every time, it's always in the context of God's future judgment. And so Jesus says, hey, it's gonna be like the days of Sodom when they're eating and marrying and drinking and blah, 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 and boom, judgment comes. That's what Jude says this. The Lord, oh, excuse me. Jude says this, just as Sodom and Gomorrah, the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire, they serve an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. It's, it, the reason God judges Sodom and so destroys it and sulfur and ash, it's, it's so thoroughly destroyed, y'all, we don't even know where it is. Most scholars think, you know where Sodom and Gomorrah is? Is under the Dead Sea, the lowest, deadest place on earth. Nothing grows. That's where most scholars think Sodom and Gomorrah was. And God takes this lush area and turns it into deadness. And it's a sign of future judgment. And I know we don't like to talk about future judgment and wrath, Right? We like the big Santa Claus God who's kind and loving and everything else. But the scripture is clear that one day, although God is patient and God is loving and he is kind, the only reason he has not judged right now is because he is patient towards people, wanting them to come to repentance. But one day it'll be that final deal and he will judge sin. Right? And God is holy, as, as holy as he is loving and he must judge sin. 
right? If, if, if God was not going to judge sin, then why does he send Jesus to die? He doesn't have to do that. If he's just gonna be like, hey, everyone goes free. But what kind of judge, what kind of, the, this, this judge that's over this case and this guy kills three people, and he says, oh, you're sorry, you can go free. That's not just, nor can God just say, hey, everyone goes free. No big deal, because he's holy and he has to pay for sin. So the beauty of it is, and the beauty of the gospel is that God is just and that he punishes sin, but he is the justifier and that he punishes his son so that you don't have to be the object of his wrath. So Jesus takes the place of the sinner. That's the beauty of God. And it should drive us to say, man, sin is a serious deal because if it's so serious, God kills his own son, then I wanna flee. But this is just a reminder for us that God is going to one day judge. And it's not something we're like, yay, go get him, God. But it is going to happen. And it brings an urgency to repentance. And then one more quick thing. I want you to see God's mercy and grace in this text. You say, I don't see a lot of grace and mercy. How about Lot getting out? In fact, even Lot recognizes it. It says, the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out of the city. Lot says, you have shown me Cain is the Hebrew word, favor, it's grace. You've shown me grace, you've rescued me. There's grace all over. He doesn't have to rescue Lot. He doesn't have to save him. He actually has to drag him out. And maybe today, God is trying to drag some of y'all out of your sin. Maybe, I'm not the angel, but maybe today's the day God's saying, get out. Today, stop. You're playing with that little flirty relationship at the office. You're playing with that addiction. Flee. Don't linger. And I think that's the thing. Don't linger. Don't hang out like, like Lot. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. He actually quotes this text and says, remember Lot's wife. When you're running from sin, don't look over your shoulder and look back. He says, don't look back like Lot's wife. You keep pursuing me. You wanna save your life? Right, you keep pursuing me. And so some of you, you're lingering and today's the day that you need to get out. And then others of you, you're like, you know what? I don't have some big compromise. I mean, I'm a sinner, but there's no big, like, big issue. I'm kind of, I'm actually doing well spiritually. Praise God. But don't lead that, let that lead to pride, which leads to these other things. Here's the solution for you, or here's the application for you. Be like Abraham. You're like, what, what does that mean? You know what Abraham does when he hears that God is going to judge Sodom? He doesn't do what maybe some of Christians would do. Get him, God. Blow him up. Yeah. He gets on his face and he begs God for mercy. He says, God, if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you save them? Will you just spare the city? If there's 50, God says, I will. He said, what about if there's 45, God? If there's 45 righteous people in the city, will you save them? I will. If there's 40 people, if there's just 40 righteous people in Sodom, will you save them? I will. What if, well, God, what if there's 30 righteous people in the city, will you save them? I will. If there's 20, God, if there's 20 righteous people in the city, will you save them? I will. God, I hate to ask this, but what if there's just 10? What if there's 10 people in the city that are righteous, will you just spare the whole city? God says, I will. That's the heart of Abraham for lost people. He's not, he knows they're wicked. His desire is not for them to be destroyed. He said, why would he be that way? It doesn't say, but I have a hunch. It's because God has shown him such great mercy and God has shown him such great grace that he, he wants others to experience it. I think that's the heart of the church, right? You know who, you know who is gonna be the most gracious 
with a person who is, is, is contemplating an abortion or just had an abortion. It's the person that had one 20 years ago and has been forgiven and is gonna love on that person. You know who's gonna be most helpful and gracious with the addict? Or the person who's walking through their kids being wandering? Or, or the, the person who's walking through abandonment or divorce? It's those people who have been in that experienced grace and forgiveness. I, I just want us as a church, just, you may be doing great. You may have never been the big rebel. You got saved at 18 months and you haven't turned back. Praise God. But do not forget this. The same blood that forgives the murderer, the adulterer, the idolater, is the same blood that forgave you, mister, I went to church since I was three months in the womb. The same son of God was, was sacrificed for your sin as the worst sinner. And, and I'm gonna close with Paul's words to Corinthians. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We know that. Do not be deceived. Sexually immoral, adulterers, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Right? And we would, some of us say, yeah, that's right. But what I love what Paul says next, such were some of you. Don't forget where you came from, Abraham. Selling your wife off to this, right? Lack of faith. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. The church is supposed to be a place where the broken find mercy and grace. And where the people run out of Sodom, we welcome them and say, the same Savior that loved us loves you. I don't want to ever lose that as a church, right? Because if we have, then we're prideful. We think, look at us. We don't do that. And we've missed it. We've missed what we're here for, right? Compromise. The nature of it, it costs. God will one day judge. But we are the people of, we are the light, y'all. And so here's what I want to do. I'll ask Praise team, you guys can come on up. I just want to reflect on the fact that your, your God is good. Your God is a loving, caring, protecting God. And for this first song, you guys can stay seated. Just spend some time praying in your heart. If there's something you need to flee from, today is the day to flee. And, and just deal with that with God. And if you just need to think on the goodness of a father and, and, and thank him for, for saving you from this. Just spend that time in the quiet of your heart as these guys are singing. And at any point during the first song you wanna stand, that's great. But this is just a time for us to reflect on a God's goodness, on his care for us, on his giving us his word to shepherd us and protect us from ourselves sometimes. And then we'll continue to stay in the worship. Let me pray uh, and we'll do that. Father, just uh, by your spirit, each person here, you know where we're at. I just ask for your grace for us to, just own where we're at. If someone in this room, Lord, is just playing with fire and you know you know who they are and they do too, Father, let today be that stop sign. May it be the angel dragging them out before they destroy those people they care about the most. Father, for someone who is here that doesn't know Christ, that they would see a loving father who sent a loving son to be a savior for their sins. Uh, just, we worship you. Uh, we love you. Christ's name.